It's good to see you all. Um, and uh, let us look to God in a word of prayer and look at our passage this morning. Our Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you. And Father, we're thankful for the Scripture. We're thankful for your Spirit and how you teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. Father, thank you for the way by your Spirit and Word, through the, through the fellowship of your people, uh, you work in our hearts and make us more like Jesus. And we pray that that's what you would do uh, this morning. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable, pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And we pray that we would all leave today being uh, refreshed uh, by your word, by your spirit, that we would see Jesus and uh, glory in him. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as you know, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and in chapter 1, we are still in this particular uh, sermon of um, our God-given power, our God-given power. This series is entitled, uh, The Name of the Lord, because probably more than anything else in the book of Exodus, God is aiming at making a name for himself. He wants his name to be made famous so that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. And that indeed should be our life aim as well, that wherever we are, that we might be used to that end. So let's look at Exodus chapter, chapter 1 and uh, give a little recap and then uh, finish up this, this chapter. Uh, let's look at verse 8, Exodus 1 verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves." Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, or for others, Shephira, and the other, Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, 
he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Our God-given power, uh, last week we saw how uh, Pharaoh abused his God-given power, and uh, this week we'll look more at how um, these two Hebrew women, or potentially Egyptian women, serving Hebrew women, it's kind of ambiguous, but nevertheless, uh, these two women, Shipra and Pua, actually use their God-given power uh, for, for good. Our God-given power is, is for the good of others, and it's for the glory of God. That's why God gives us power. It's for the good of other people and for the glory of God. And the key, as you may recall, and uh, we remind ourselves, the key is in our acknowledging and appreciating and allowing our hearts and lives to be moved by how God used His power to serve us, to preserve us, to guide us, to provide for us. He used this power for our good. Even when we were rebels, He used this power for our good. And this is preeminently, as you may recall and know, this is preeminently seen in the life of Christ Jesus, who had all power and all authority, and uh, with all of that at His disposal, He counted us more significant than Himself. He sought what was in our best interest, and He came and emptied Himself to serve us, to lay His life down on a cross so that we might be redeemed, even when we were ungodly, even when we were sinners, even when we were His enemies, even when we were weak. Uh, He did that for us. He loved us, even when we were unlovely. And we saw how, how Joseph's life, in contrast to Pharaoh, foreshadows the life of Jesus Christ. He's a picture of Christ. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him today as well. But, but we see that in the fact that he was favored by his father. He had special revelation, like Jesus. Uh, he was hated by his brothers. He was sold by his brothers, just like Jesus. But the Lord was with him, just like Jesus. And he was falsely accused, like Christ. He was misused and abused like Christ. And in spite of all of that, when he was about 30, just like Jesus, he rose to power in in Egypt and he used his power to serve others. And we see that in the life of Joseph. And one of the things that's uh, uh, seen in the life of Joseph, uh, from his rise to power to his death, we see that Uh, This period of time is bookend by Joseph's acknowledgement of God. When he's brought out of the pit and brought to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I heard something about you. I heard you can interpret dreams when you hear them. And he said, it's not in me. God will give you the answer. And towards the end of his life, when his brothers feared him, he said, am I in the place of God? I'll care for you. We see his life bookend by the reality of a God-centeredness. And obviously, uh, his life is contrasted with the king of Egypt, who counted himself more significant than others. The king of Egypt saw his personal interest 
as preeminent above everybody else's interest. Everything he did was out of selfish ambition and conceit. His aims were his own fame of his name, his personal gain, securing his reign, even though it cost a lot of pain to other people. We must acknowledge, we must appreciate, and allow our hearts to be moved by Jesus' selfless love in order to serve others for their good and for God's glory. Simply because that's what Jesus did for us. Daily we must ask of everyone we encounter, in view of Jesus Christ and his service to me, how can I be of service to you? That has to be the driving point of our whole life. Um, Let us acknowledge God's story to serve for His glory. Second, let us acknowledge God's supremacy to pursue His story. Not only are we called to acknowledge Jesus' selfless love as a motive to serve others, but we must acknowledge His supreme Lordship. You know, we, we looked last week at Philippians chapter 2 and how Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and when he found himself in the likeness of men and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the other side of that is that God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name and the name God gave him is the name Lord. Gabriel gave him the name Jesus. God gave him the name Lord. So that at His name, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then, Philippians goes on to say, Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not only in my, absence, but not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God at work in you, God-given power. God at work in you, both to will and do His good pleasure. And that, that passage that's often quoted as, as a proof text for something, but you know a proof text without a context is a pretext. You realize that, and, and that, that text comes at the end of every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, what does that actually mean? It means counting other people more significant than yourself. It means seeking what is the best interest in the life of other people. And Paul said it like this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as long as I am alive in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I am hard pressed between the two, desiring to go and be with Christ, but convinced that I'll remain with you. He says, I will continue for your progress and your joy in the faith so that in my coming to you again, I might give you ample reason to glory in Jesus Christ. So that becomes the objective in life. That becomes the the, the calling of what it means to count other people more significant and not be wrapped up in selfish ambition and conceit. It means seeking to see every knee bow and every tongue confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, when Joseph came to power, they said about him, when he rode in his chariot, bow the knee. And everybody came to Joseph. Everybody bowed to Joseph. 
And everybody got saved because God worked through Joseph. That has to be our objective as well. And that's what we see in this passage if we look carefully. This pursuit of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing, acknowledging the supremacy of the Lord, often comes at a great cost. Sometimes it's rather risky. It comes at great sacrifices. And great sacrifices to our comfort and convenience. We see that in the life of Shifra and Puah. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church and she wasn't named Shifra, she was Shafira in, in the Baptist church, but, but she became Shifra in the Presbyterian congregation. But we're talking about the same woman, just in case you wonder who Shifra is. She's not shifting. Shafira means beautiful. Pua means girl. Beauty is fleeting and charm is deceptive. Isn't that what Proverbs says? But it's the woman who fears the Lord who shall be praised. And these women feared the Lord. Uh, Pharaoh's Pharaoh's, uh, plan A to suppress and to oppress uh, the Israelites for his name and for uh, the security of of his throne, it backfired. It didn't work. And so now there are even more Israelites than there ever were before. And so his plan B is to simply exterminate them. Just get rid of the little baby boys. And so he enlists uh, and orders Shifra and Pua uh, to kill the baby boys. But these women, as you see, they feared God. They acknowledged the supremacy of God. Like Joseph, they acknowledged God. Like Joseph, they said that in their, in their, by their actions, I'm not in the place of God. It's not my decision to decide who lives and who dies. That's God's decision. And so they refuse to take the place of God. That's simply just the opposite of what Pharaoh was doing. Joseph wouldn't take the place of God, but Pharaoh did take the place of God and said, I'll decide who lives and who dies. And, uh, and sought to use these women as his, to do the dirty work. Um, but Shifra and Pua were used by God, the supreme life giver, um, to see to it that there was an advancement to his story. Whether they knew it or not, God has a story that began back in the garden and when we fell into sin, God said, I'm going to send a seed. and He's going to crush the head of the serpent and He's going to get his heel crushed in the process. And that seed is going to be the one who brings life back to the world. And uh, we see uh, even this instance here with Shifra and Pua foreshadowed in, in another woman, the life of Tamar. You remember that story? And how, how Judah gave his first son to Tamar. and He was wicked and God killed him. So he gave his second son and said, raise up a progeny for your brother's name. And he didn't want to do it, so he spilled his seed on the ground and God killed him because he wasn't willing to build up the house of the Lord. There's a seed coming. You're not willing to build up that house. 
So Judah promised to give his third son, but he lied. He got afraid and he didn't do it. And Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute and Judah came into her. Then the word came to Judah, your, your daughter's been, been immoral. And they said, bring her out and let her be burned. She's pregnant. And she said, yeah, but here's, here's your belongings. I'm pregnant by you. Remember what Judah said? You're more righteous than I am because you were seeking the seed and I wasn't. She was more concerned about the future generation than he was. And um, you see that here in, 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 in Pharaoh's life. He wants these babies dead so that he can hold on to his name, so he can hold on to his fame, so he can hold on to his gain. Perhaps one of these babies might wind up being another Joseph, threaten his authority, threaten his throne. Can't have that. And so these women do what is, some have said, is the first recorded act of civil disobedience in, in the Bible. They stood against a corrupt government. Uh, when they were confronted by Pharaoh, um, some say they lied. You know, it's kind of ambiguous whether, whether they're stretching the truth or whether they're being honest. God said, I'm going to multiply you to his people. More than the stars of the heavens, more than the sand of the sea. Maybe the Hebrew women did have something going on. I don't know. But the text is purposely ambiguous. But, but even so, whatever the case may be, they feared God, and that's what they did. Pharaoh wasn't worthy of the truth because of what he was out to do. But these women refused to take the place of God and massacre these little babies. You know, uh, there is in each one of our hearts a little bit of Pharaoh. Isn't that right? You know, Pharaoh uh, foreshadows another king. His name is Herod. The only two kings in the Bible who, who made a law to kill the baby boys because they were afraid of their throne being threatened. They were afraid that somebody was coming after them that might replace them. Herod was a wicked guy. Killed his wife, killed his sons. He was, a he was a maniac. Went around and massacred all the baby boys in Bethlehem and the environs, two years old and under, because he did not want to worship the true king. Uh, because he was troubled that the true king actually showed up. And he wanted to hold on to his kingdom to his authority, to his autonomy, to his name. There's a little bit of Pharaoh, there's a little bit of Herod in each of us. We also struggle with putting others ahead of ourselves. Don't you sometimes struggle with that? We struggle with serving others at our own expense. Uh, we, we, we struggle with sometimes dispensing of others who, who interrupt our, our freedom, interrupt our fun, interrupt our, 
our future plans. Sometimes there is in us a desire to take the place of God and and make decisions that we have no right to do. You know, you cannot possibly read this passage and not think about the injustice of abortion. That's impossible. Isn't that true? And and, and what, what the rest of Exodus teaches us is that God is concerned about both and. He's concerned about issues of justice and issues of mercy. Because sometimes the injustices in a society actually bring on this particular injustice towards the unborn. Well, it was the Israelites who were being treated unjustly and being oppressed. That didn't work out. It brought on another injustice. That's a lot like the society in which we live in. In 1979, the Chinese government enforced their one-child-only policy. Do you know why they did it? Prior to that, they told the country, the government ordered the people of the country to have as many children as possible to build up the military, to build up the labor force because of a desire to be number one. But then they had so many people, they didn't have the resources to take care of them. There's not enough food. So then the the, the government ordered women, only one child. You had to ask the government for permission to have a child. And when you had a child, after you had a child, most women were forced to be sterilized. They were forced to be sterilized. And you were not allowed to have another child. And if you had another child, the government would make you pay a huge fine for that child. Or they would take your child and traffic your child, kidnap your child, put them in the black market, and sell your child. Why? Because the babies were inconvenient. Instead of looking outside of the wall for help, they stayed inside and said, we can figure this out ourselves. Without God, we don't need him. And this is what brought it on. Forced abortions, forced sterilizations. One woman was interviewed, and she knew, she, she, asked, how many, she was asked how many children she had give, you know, was a midwife for. How many came through her midwife practices, and she didn't know how many children were born through her services, but she knew she had at least killed 60,000. One woman. Um, And so so now China has a crisis. They have more men than they have women. They don't have enough women. So so in 2015, uh, they made a law, you can have two children now. But only two. Because The big thing in China is economic growth. We want to be number one economically. And to have too many children, that takes away from the government and the labor force and the ability for the government to morph and become the number one government in the world. It's just like Egypt. We haven't learned anything from our past. We're just as twisted in America. In 1973, you know um, Weddington and Coffee against Wade, Henry Wade, in 1973. The Supreme Court made a decision. You know all about this. 
Uh, Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to two that a woman's right of privacy protects her decision to either keep or kill her child. They didn't put it that way, but that's the way it is. Right to privacy. You, you decide whether you want to keep the child or kill the child. And um, so, so in China, they estimated that on record, 400 million babies have been killed since 1979 that are known about. 400 million. That's a whole country. That's more than people in America. That's crazy. In America, since Roe versus Wade, we have massacred about 61 million kids um, because people don't acknowledge the supremacy of God, take the place of God, just like Pharaoh. And, and we do it one better in America. We actually think it's a sign of freedom. You know, Geno's used to give you freedom of choice. Come on, everybody, and let's rejoice. Geno's gives you freedom. Some of you don't know Geno's is like McDonald's. And we think it's freedom of choice. And so we become so twisted in our understanding of truth that, that we say to a woman, you have the right to choose to kill your future, to kill your child. What about the woman inside the womb? Does she have any rights? You know, and so it gets really twisted, doesn't it? And, and our country has gotten so twisted to think that this is a good thing. This is called uh, maternal care. And, um, and it becomes very twisted. I know we hear about it a lot in the media, and we're tired of hearing about it, but it's something that we need to hear about and need to talk about and need to do something about within the body of Christ because the government's not going to do anything about it that's worthwhile. You know, it, it, it's sad when, when, when you can't look to the White House. You've got to look to the lighthouse. It's the lighthouse that's got to inform the White House. You know, you know the, the divorce rate in, in, in the church is just as high as the divorce rate outside of the church. That's a shame. That's a, that's a scandal. You know, you know people in the, in, inside the church look at porn just as much as people outside the church. That's a scandal. And so, so the lighthouse got dark. And so the White House ought to be the house that comes to the lighthouse and says, hey, we see some progress in your house. Can you show us how it's done? That's actually the way it's supposed to work. Some people say, oh, you shouldn't get involved in politics. Why not? you underneath politics, aren't you? When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some people say a bad Negro, but it wasn't right. It was Abednego. You know that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were in bondage under Babylon rule, their stand for truth informed the ruling party, the Babylonians. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace and they saw four dudes in there and they came out, there wasn't even a hair singed on their head, the government said, hey, don't mess with their God. I'm going to make a law that you can't talk bad about their God. And anybody does going to get killed. You see how, how truth informs power. Say, so we're not supposed to do that. It was back in the Old Testament. Paul did the same thing. Didn't he talk to Agrippa? Agrippa wasn't saved. Agrippa needed to get a grip, man. Paul almost convinced him to be a follower of Christ. God's people need to speak with loving hearts, right? With gentleness and inform 
and form the power structure. The problem is that, that the lighthouse has gotten dark. And so when we try to put our voice out there, people just laugh. They say, well, y'all ain't no better. Because we're not consecrated like we ought to be. And so then we get mad and bring picket signs that says, God hates gays and all this stuff. You know what I mean? We get mad. And start screaming and yelling at people. That's not the way. You're supposed to be loving people. Church done got crazy. So we are supposed to be loving people. Over half a billion people killed by abortion. They're the ones on record. Um, because people want to take the place of God. It is not, you know, it is, it is strange. It's a strange world where a woman feels like her freedom has been infringed upon when she does not have the right to kill her baby. That's some twisted stuff, man. That is mentally twisted. When a, when, a, when a sister feels like my freedom is being infringed because I can't kill my baby. Did you know that 99, 93, sorry, 93% of abortions, you know this stuff. I'm not telling you nothing. I'm preaching to the choir. 93% of abortions are done because the baby's inconvenient. Because the baby's going to get in the way of my education or my career or my future plans for fun. Very few abortions are done because the woman's life is at risk. Very few are done because of rape and incest. 93% of them are done because it's, not, it's just not convenient for me right now. I don't have the money. Well, have the baby and give the baby to somebody else if you ain't got the money. Let the baby be adopted. You know what I'm saying? We've gotten twisted, and so it's just, it's just convenient. We can do away with the child. Child dispensable. But the thing about it is, look at this thing. Let's finish this thing up. Um, uh, we, we are called to acknowledge the supremacy of God for what purpose? For his story. For his story to make progress. What is his story? His story is that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. Over 500 million babies were never a part of that story. God is looking for the earth to be filled with people who acknowledge Jesus, who bow the knee to Jesus, who love Jesus. And so, so we should be people who are praying for the unborn. Yes, we're praying for, we're going to get to the issues of justice and mercy when we get to the Israelites. Now we're talking about their babies. Um, we should be praying for unborn children. Do you pray for unborn children? That's one thing that we can say to application for this week. Pray for unborn babies, right? Do you find that weird? You should be praying for unborn children. We've got some unborn children right now in this house. And you think about the horror. I mean, any mother in here would know the horror of nine months with a baby, as soon as the baby's out, killing I think sometimes Schiffer and Poole were scared of women. You know what? <laughs> you kill my baby, I'm going to kill you. But I don't hold this thing for nine months. You, you touch that baby, see what happened to you. Um, that's, the way, that's, that's the mama I like. Mama who's going to take care. You try to go up to a, to a mother bear 
and try to mess with her cup. See what happened to your face. Uh-huh. Yeah, you try to go up in a, in a pride of lions and take one of them little cute little, little lions away. I'll bet you you won't walk away. And see, the animal kingdom got more care for their little ones than the, than the human kingdom. I thought we were supposed to be the smarter ones. You know what I'm saying? This stuff don't make no sense, folks. And the church has to be the one to light the fire under this thing. Praying for unborn. Praying for, um, as well as the unjust treatment of the poor and the needy. I don't need to tell you folks that America's history, you know the history of America. There's some, there's some shady stuff up in here, you know that? And we need to pray for justice and, and, and for the poor, supporting as, as we do. Praise God. Praise God. The church does support better life-preserving options like adoption, foster care, taking care of the little ones. You know a baby is helpless and hopeless. You realize that. You know that. I don't need to tell you that. Sometimes we need reminders, but babies are helpless. They, are hopeless. they can't do nothing for themselves. Nothing. They don't even know where they are. They don't even know who they are. They need people to care for them. You know, I talked to one guy one time, and he, when we came here, and, and he said, I only have one son. I said, well, don't feel bad. God only has one son, too. You're in good company. All of us are adopted. Um, nobody gets to heaven. Nobody gets to be called a child of God unless it comes through adoption. Um, so you can't look at a passage like this and not talk about that. I hope you see that. Um, and, and, and so, lobbying politicians, yes, to legislate protection for unborn children. And thankfully, adoption, uh, um, abortions have been going down, but they're still around. In, in Missouri, there's one place that's left. There's, they got one spot in Missouri where you can abort kids, and, and they're, they're starting to potentially close that down. And women outside saying, this is a, this is a, it's taking away our freedom. We've gotten crazy. Lobbying politicians to, to legislate uh, to protect unborn children. Pursuing women who are leaning towards abortion and giving reasons Reasons why not to go that route, but reasons to preserve that child. Reason to be like Shifra. Reasons to be like Pua. Say, I'm going to fear God. I'm not in the place of God. I'm going to trust myself to God, and I'm going to trust this child to God, even if it means I can't take care of the child. Somebody out there can. And I'm going to find someone like a mom would. Find someone who will care for this child. You know, it, it's sad when, when, uh, when this is all done. Most of the things are done because of convenience, personal convenience and comfort. We have built a culture uh, that protects and covers um, sin, and we should, build a, we should build a culture that protects and covers women. You notice how Pharaoh, he's the man in the, in the charge, in authority, and he's the one ordering women kill the baby boys. It's really sad. And um, I'm so thankful these women had more sense than he did. You know, he want, he's afraid of the boys, and eventually, as we will see, God uses five women to bring in the deliverer.
five women. Moses' mama, his sister, and um, well, these two women here, Shifra and Pua, that makes four, and then Pharaoh's own daughter and her servant. All these women, he's looking at the men, and it's the women he need to be concerned about. You got to watch the women, you know what I mean? And you have to watch out for the women. Women in society, they don't feel covered by men. They feel exploited. I, you know, we can talk about this for hours. I can't talk for hours. I can talk for hours. Some of you know that. But I'm going I'm to I'm bring it down to a close. Because Lord willing, we got next week. And if not, it's okay. <laughs> we'll go see the king. Um, so anyway, let's, let's pray about this. Think about how you can how you can be a part of um, particular ministries that are, you yeah, know, the Laurel Pregnancy Center, there's other places that you can go and work uh, to this end. You know, it only takes a spark to set a whole, a whole uh, forest on fire, and it only takes one act of love and devotion. For the name of the Lord Jesus, your labor is never, ever in vain. Isn't that right? Andrew brought one man... To, uh, to the Lord. Brought a little boy too, but he brought Peter. And Peter was used by God in immense ways to bring many multitudes of people into God's kingdom. God can use us in the same way. Don't ever feel like your little discussion with a person or your small act is insignificant. Um, so let's, let's seek the Lord's name uh, use the God-given power he put in us to acknowledge his story so that others might serve for his glory and to acknowledge his supremacy to pursue his story. Uh, let's, let's pray to God. Uh, our Father, in Christ's name, we thank you for the fact that you oversee everything that takes place on the planet. Nothing escapes your notice, dear God. We're thankful even back here, thousands of years ago, dear God, that you were watching out, looking out for a deliverer named Moses. And you used uh, these, these, these lowly women of all people, unassuming uh, women, to bring about deliverance. And Father, we're thankful that... Um, you still use women and men. You still use women and men to bring about a name for yourself. Dear God, I pray for, um, I can't help but pray for uh, the few people here in our congregation who are expecting children. That you bless them and keep them in your care. Can't help but pray for people looking to even adopt children. And whether you would call any others of us to be a part of that that picture, that you would work in our hearts, that you pave the way so little lives dispensed with can be shown and, and, and taught that there's value in them because they're created in your image and they have potential to be used in powerful ways by you for your glory because they're in your image. Dear God, help us never to put our convenience and our personal comfort above human life. Help us, Lord, never to take the place of God, to take your place and try to decide who lives and who dies 
but Lord, to humble ourselves under your authority, to fear you, to say we're not in your place, but we're in this place to acknowledge your supremacy and to advance your gospel and to see your kingdom extend in the lives of as many people as possible. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.